0: Greg, welcome to the pre-show. Welcome to the pre-show. Today we have author, William Irwin, author, philosopher, professor, author of the book The Meaning of Metallica on the do. program today. We do. Which is exciting. Uh, yeah, Absolutely june twenty ninth nineteen ninety aerosmith Metallica warrant and black crows played exhibition stadium in toronto what a concert that was i think that was my first big stadium concert Really? Maybe I saw. Maybe I saw you two earlier on. I, I don't, or maybe not. But 1990, I was still in high school. My uh, friend had his motorcycle license, so we took his bike to the X. I wrote on the back. We took the DVP. Greg, one of the scariest rides of my life. On the back of uh, of his motorcycle, driving southbound on the DVP uh, from Scarborough. But uh, I think Black Rose had just come out with their new album. With their no, not just their new album, but I think that was their debut album. Um, excited to see them. I don't remember Warrant for some reason.
1: Uh, they were on last, and you drank too much by that point. For Warrant, yeah, yeah, they were too Warrant much last. diet coke. I mean. <laughs>
0: No. So we were hungry. Here's two Muslim boys at the X. Yeah. We're starving. And, the, you know, the, the people are going up and down the stairs selling their stuff. And all they had was a large pepperoni pizza. So you looked at each other and said, just screw it. Let's just eat. I'm, we're hungry.
1: Yeah.
0: So that was the day uh, that I punched my ticket to to hell. June 29th, 1990.
1: November fourteenth, nineteen ninety one. Yeah. Uh huh. Maple Leaf Gardens. Ah, that was a that was an infamous night. That was a very infinite infamous night. Um, amazing show. We're yeah. up in the Red Path box, like Red Path Sugars. Yeah, yeah. the Red Path box. Uh, up by the boxes. We found. I think I've shared this story before. We found a small door, up a ladder, and opened it up. And we were playing tag on the roof of Maple Leaf Gardens. I think you've mentioned that. I have. Did you watch the
0: concert? Did you?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, in fact, we we snuck down and snuck down on the floors and then back. And anyway, yeah. Um, But that was also the night that I got that infamous tape of Nirvana's Nevermind. Oh, yes.
0: On the way, well, that was on the way home, right? On the way home? No, we, we,
1: we left We left the Metallica show and we went to the grand opening of the Phoenix. Okay. The uh, invite-only event or whatever at the Phoenix. I'm yeah. sure we snuck into there. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. we were invited. Probably were, but maybe we we're not and we just snuck in. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it was leaving that night at the Phoenix that somebody handed me a tape and I had no idea who it was. And yeah. We didn't listen to it until the next morning.
0: Wow.
1: So that would have been November 15th, 1991.
0: It was interesting, though there was two different crowds at that at this concert. There was the Aerosmith crowd,
1: the Warren Aerosmith,
0: no? which were which were a mix. It was a mixed crowd, uh, and it was a mix like mixed comparison. race. It was mixed in comparison to Metallica, which was all bros, white dudes. It was just just white dudes screaming.
1: Um, like a trucker t- convoy in ottawa,
0: yeah, it was yeah, um yeah, <laughs> I think the hair was was longer and, and the maybe that they weren't I don't think people were growing beards back then, but um, just a great show, a great show all around, um awesome. yeah, we didn't uh climb on any roofs, and uh we were too young to get invited anywhere, we were nobodies, <laughs> so. But, yes, I'm uh, interested to chat about, uh, about Metallica.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward yeah. to it.
0: And that's the pre-show?
1: And that is the pre-show.
0: <laughs> Hi. The following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery.
2: Hi, this is William Irwin. I'm the author of The Meaning of Metallica, Ride the Lyrics. I'm also a professor of philosophy at King's College in Pennsylvania. And uh, welcome to the music.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome uh, William, Bill, it's great to have you on. Um, I, I have to come clean. I have to be honest with you here. Um, if you ask any of my kids and my wife and friends and family that like, if you, if you want somebody to name a song within a few bars, like, like the game hurdle, we have our, our, like all the kids, we're all in this, uh, family chat about hurdle. I'm good for that. When it comes to lyrics, like the best way I can describe when we talked about previously before the show about me as a musician, touring musician back in the day, um, we were playing at a bar downtown Toronto called Nags Head downtown. And I remember Jeff, the singer, turning to me and saying, what did you say? Like, what what are you singing in the harmonies? And I said and so in hell you'll find. And he's like, dude, it's, and so in her, you'll find your sanctuary. <laughs> so when I got your book and realized it was a, it was a book about the lyrics and the meaning behind, I thought, Ooh, I in, I'm in deep on this. One. <laughs> oh. Anyway, I just want to thank you for joining us today. I had to share that.
2: Well, no, th- thank you so much for having me. And I mean, it's true. Some people are very uh, inclined toward, uh, toward the music and uh, and the instruments and, uh, I, I I will make my confession, and, and that is I don't play a musical instrument. It's one of the real shortcomings uh, in my education and upbringing. I, I tried. Uh, I'm 52 now, and maybe 10 or 15 years ago, uh, you know, wanting to remedy that. I tried taking a few guitar lessons. It would be so cool to play the guitar. Uh, but I, I quickly realized that practicing for about 15 minutes a day was going to get me nowhere, <laughs> absolutely nowhere. Uh, and I have really no sense of rhythm or, or musicality as much as I love music. Uh, and, and for me, I've always tuned into the, the lyrics of songs as much or more than the, uh, than the, uh, the music. And uh, for me, bad lyrics can ruin a good song, uh, whereas for lots of people doesn't really matter. They get the emotion. They get the feeling. They get what they need, mostly from the music. Yeah. Interesting.
0: What do your students in, in philosophy class think of, Bill, the author of a heavy
1: metal book?
2: Well, that, that would have been more radical uh, 20 or 30 years ago, I suppose. I started teaching about 25 years ago, and I, I could get some street cred and cool cred for uh, for being a metal fan uh back then but these days it, it, it it's almost like ah, who cares what does that mean you're old i <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes yeah, yeah you know like your dad i like metallica like your dad likes metallica <laughs> right?
1: that's awesome oh my oh my
2: um
0: what drew you to what drew you to metallica as a fan and then what drew you to to really want to explore the lyrics in a book.
2: Yeah, so I, I first got into Metallica not short, not too long after they came on the scene. I'll date myself back to 1984, and their first album, "Kill 'Em All," came out in 1983. So back in 1984, I'm 14 years old, and uh, I'm a budding young metalhead. Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Ozzy, Black Sabbath. Uh, My friend Joe and I are like Beavis and Butthead before there was uh, Beavis (laughs) and Butthead on on MTV, right? This is cool, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, And, uh, you know, Metallica's Ride the Lightning came out in 84. And uh, my friend Joe uh, beat me to the punch on this one, as he did on lots of things. And uh, picked up a copy of the album uh, and made a cassette tape of it, as we did back in the day, mm-hmm. and said, you know, you have to listen to this. And, uh, and I did. And it, it was, you know, it was uh, a step beyond uh, the metal sound of the, of the time, much faster, and much heavier in many songs. Uh, and what really gripped me, though, uh, in many cases were the lyrics, uh, because despite my goofy Uh, Beavis and Butthead uh, type uh, persona in a way. It was also, uh, you know, a budding young existentialist uh, and suffering from my own crisis of meaning and what's life all about and all this kind of thing. And uh, the the song Fade to Black uh, on uh, Ride the Lightning is is a very uh, somber suicide song, uh, which actually... Uh, in the uh, sort of uh, turnout from, from the lyrics, turns out to be a catharsis, a real cleansing of uh, feelings of, uh, of negativity uh, because uh, the, uh, the death and the suicide is really imagined all the way through. And that, that's something that grabbed me uh, right off the bat. And so I, I think young guys uh, like myself at that time, and it may be true uh, still to this day, tend to shy away from two things, uh, that are good for us, uh, poetry and therapy. Uh, I needed both at that point. Uh, and, uh, in a way Metallica's lyrics, uh, were my, uh, introduction to poetry and, uh, in the absence of, uh, the kind of therapy, uh, that might've been uh, better for me. Uh, they served as a kind of a therapy as well.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting. Cause I, uh, I've got to be honest with you. I struggled flipping through the suicide like that, that part of the book Um, I've lost a best friend and a good friend and a cousin. Um, So it was, uh, it, it was, it was, it was tough. Um, And, and, and you're right. I mean, you know, whether we're in our teens or in our fifties, even like, like, thankfully we're opening up more about mental health issues and, you know, um, that kind of like the, the struggles that people have with it. Um, uh, but it's interesting you say that. I mean, you look at the, the, um, the, the movements like Movember that started out prostates moved into men's mental health. It's like, even in our fifties, I'm not sure we're really, you know, all getting, not getting the help, well, getting the help, but, but getting the support, getting the support that we do. Like,
2: yeah, no, there, there, there's still potentially a stigma and there's still, uh, a sort of macho. Uh, kind of resistance for admitting that you might need that kind of help. And, you know, I, I, I certainly did. Uh, and uh, it was cool uh, hearing it from uh, Metallica in my case, right? Because uh, they were these sort of uh, alpha male, tough guys, at least that was the appearance of it. Uh, and, you know, other people might have been at the same time listening to the Smiths or something and, and getting what they needed. Uh, but, but that, that wasn't appealing to me. Right. Uh, and so I'm glad that I found, uh, you know, the, these, uh, thoughts and these emotions and feelings expressed there. Right. And that's one of the sort of misconceptions a lot of people have about, uh, Metallica is that it's just all angry. Uh, but there's a great deal of vulnerability and, and emotional range and depth that we see in the music and the lyrics.
1: For for sure, and I think I think you see that, and again, sort of, anyway, I think you also see that it, when you watch the some kind of monster doc, like that's just a very. In fact, it goes kind of weird with the therapist at the end, but we'll leave that part out. Yeah. But but, uh, but yeah, like you you, you really, uh, at least I f- saw a lot of that through that documentary, and sort of, and again, it was later in their their career, but. Just like, I think it was the St. Anger. Wasn't that when they were recording St. Right. Anger, yeah. if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. So, yeah, it was really, I mean, it, like fascinating to to see that and see that process and have them recognize the struggles all the way leading up to that point. I don't
2: know. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, in some ways, it's a it's a train wreck that you can't take your eyes off of. Uh, but uh, and and it's in some ways uh, an embarrassment, but it, but it's really a gutsy thing. Uh, to put it all out there, sort of warts and all for, uh, for people to see. And of course, uh, it's easy to, to mock and to, uh, to parody and, uh, and all that kind of thing in some ways. But, uh, uh, you know, good, good for them for, for mm-hmm. being that honest in that way. And, and to me, that's one of the things that, uh, if I think back to what struck me early on with Metallica and uh, has been part of my conversation with them ever since... Uh, is a certain authenticity, uh, right, in a being who they are. And, and you saw that with them uh, early on in the sense that they had, they had sort of a punk rock uh, mentality and that they, you know, they wore jeans and t-shirts, they dressed like their fans, and uh, whether they were on stage or just hanging out and that sort of authenticity was something uh, that they prized. And, and of course, uh, over the years, uh, maybe it was compromised in places and certainly some fans would tell you so and they jumped ship at one stage or another because of sellout or or whatever the case may be. But uh, that, that's certainly part of what has always spoken to me about the band and, and the lyrics is an ongoing dialogue with what it means to be your genuine self and to be authentic.
0: It's interesting that uh, a professor yourself has written uh, this book studying lyrics, and you know right away I, I started thinking about you know the art because you also talk about Metallica music is art. Yeah, um, you know it's, it's not something you listen to to dance to. It's you know you you, you, you listen to it and you, you live You need to almost sit still or stand still and and listen to it uh, and, and drive meaning out of it as as if you were standing. In an art gallery, looking at at a, at a massive painting, you need to sit still and, and look at it, and sort of, you know, breathe in, uh, you know, what you're what you're seeing, or in this case, what you're listening to. Um, why is it? And, and you know, I'll ask you this as 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 a professor, someone in the education system. We don't seem to study songwriters in the same way we study poetry or Shakespeare or popular literature, um, you know, only recently do we see Bob Dillard, you know, winning awards, uh, Kendrick Lamar winning awards, uh, you know, for what we call, um, you know, pop pop music today, right? This is, you know, popular music. Um, why is that? And, and is, there, is there a change that you're seeing?
2: Yeah, well, I think the professors are always the last ones to get it right and, and to show up and, and, and recognize what's valuable. I mean, uh, and that includes uh, even uh, Shakespeare, uh, who, uh, I mean, was not considered the stuff that you would teach and study in, in university until uh, the 19th century. I mean, uh, it had to be written in, in Greek or Latin for a long time for it to be considered Uh, worth studying. Uh, So you you just have this, that long trajectory, right? And uh, film and, uh, and television uh, are now finding their place in academic studies for a long time. uh, It was looked at as, as if uh, film were just this, you know, lazy, uh, unsophisticated medium. Uh, And, and so uh, it, Song lyrics and, and popular music uh in, in general uh has some hurdles uh to clear, right? First of all, uh we I, I like to think of uh of uh, song lyrics, at least uh, many of them, as being a kind of rock poetry. Uh but the problem with it is that you can't just read the lyrics as printed on a page and uh and pick up on them as they're meant to be, right? So you mentioned uh, Bob Dylan uh, nicely honored uh, with uh, you know the uh, the Nobel Prize, uh, but uh, very few of Dylan's songs stand up just plain old on paper uh, as something you'd want to read in poetry. You you have mm-hmm. to uh, hear them with the accompanying music, which is more how they're meant to be heard. And although you know Dylan is covered by many people, uh, I, I think to really get an authentic sense of uh, of a lot of uh, Dylan, you want to hear him uh, in his own unique voice presenting it. And uh, I mean, it, it has the, uh, the sort of negative connotation of being easy, right? What work are you doing by, you know, in the first case, uh, listening or watching a movie or a television show, uh, or maybe even easier just sitting back and, uh, and listening to music? Well, fair enough, but we get to the distinction uh, that you highlighted, Kareem, about the difference between art and entertainment, right? Uh, There's music, which can be very good music uh, that you just dance to or uh, put on for uh, a certain kind of mood. Uh, And then there's, you know, art, which there's uh, music, which is really uh, more in the realm of art meant to be contemplated, taken seriously. And this is the sort of thing that we readily do. Uh, with classical music, more and more with jazz, I think. Uh, and I, I think uh, we're going to see more and more uh, the movement into taking very seriously uh, more popular music. I mean, certainly with the likes of people like Dylan or Leonard Cohen or people like that are, are uh, sort of easy to take seriously and are a few generations ahead uh, of some of the music we might be talking about now, with uh, Metallica or Kendrick Lamar or something like that, and uh, you know, with the uh, uh, with the with the endorsement of older generations, things tend to gain more ready acceptance. But uh, yeah, and I, I think uh, Metallica's music, and of course, I, I tend to contrast Metallica uh, with Van Halen. Uh, Van Halen, the uh, the instrumental. Uh, uh, chops are just incredible right eddie van halen as a guitarist his brother as a, as a drummer and, uh, uh, the bass player as well i mean they're, they're great musicians uh but they're really not making music for you just to kind of contemplate it sets a sets a mood uh the lyrics are generally just fun uh you know there, there can be some kind of uh cool uh rhyming and uh storytelling but they're, they're generally not meant to be uh contemplated uh so hard for teachers not going to show up on your syllabus is what you're saying <laughs> not with me teaching right i don't have <laughs> yeah. uh, i don't have the looks but you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's funny it's
1: funny it's funny you say that because the lyrics aren't there but when you talk about the musicianship like when i think of van halen from a from a from a lyrics perspective i think harmonies which again it goes back to the, what we sure. talked about at the beginning right which is where i'm i'm listening to the music i'm listening to the instrumental that that kind of thing so to me van halen are some of the best harmonies in rock but you're right the lyrics are you know hot for yeah. teacher you know might as well jump yeah H- uh, i mean
2: they're perfectly <laughs> good for what they are right yeah uh, for sure I mean, David Whoa, yeah. Was, was really uh, a kind of uh, of a genius for what he did. Uh, yeah. But, but it's not anything uh, too profound. Although, you know, I mean, it captures a certain, you know, spirit of the time or whatever else you, you can give credit there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I look, I look at that first Van Halen album. Like I look at the first Metallica album, like a lot of them, I just, they're just perfect pieces. Again, yeah. me not being a lyricist person or a lyrics yeah. person, but yeah, just like just perfect pieces. Okay.
0: Hmm. I wanted to ask you about uh, specifically um, James Hetfield's lyrics over time, Hmm. Um, because I know you sort of picked themes, but I'm curious if you noticed over time, I don't know, did he become, was he more, is he becoming more angrier? Is he becoming mellow, uh, more happy? I'm curious if you discovered that in, in writing this book.
2: Yeah, so it's a good question. Although the book's not, uh, I I should say for listeners who are curious, right? It's not a catalog uh, of their songs one by one. This is what it's about, right? Uh, The book is organized thematically. So I have songs from different albums. Uh, that are sort of talking to one another on a given theme, right? So, like for example, on on religion, we'll have an, an early song uh, like "Creeping Death," which we'll then talk to, and uh, a song on the next album, "Left for Messiah," and then onto the Black album with the the God that Failed, that kind of thing. Uh, so, I'm I'm not strictly speaking uh, analyzing historically, but your question's a good one about you know what observations there are to make across time. And I'm not sure what I have to say here is, is particularly unique. Other people have uh, have noted it. But the very first album, uh, which Greg had uh, mentioned, Kill Em All, uh, is really very uh, sort of fantasy uh, based uh, and comes closest uh, to treading some uh, heavy metal cliches. Although even there, uh, it manages not to take the dive into straight out Satanism or misogyny or, you know, motorcycles or, or, or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, but one of the interesting things for me that the, the, uh, the first album is that a lot of the lyrics uh, are coming across in uh, second uh, first person plural, a lot of we, right. And uh, a lot of it uh, is about uh, kind of joining together as this band is joining together. And as they're looking to sort of, Recruit a following and and really it's a kind of a mission statement uh, for them, uh, setting the cause out and and calling others to join it and sort of ride with the four horsemen, one of the uh, notable tracks on on that album. Uh, The second and third albums, uh, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, uh, are, you know, quantum leaps ahead in in terms of uh, lyrical sophistication. Uh, and and here, there's a lot of stuff that that's sort of topical and maybe vaguely personal, but not written in the form of personal reflection, right? So we have things like uh, Cold War, uh, you know, fears with fight fire with fire and the nuclear Armageddon and that sort of thing. We have a, a death a death penalty kind of song with uh, with Ride the Lightning itself and uh just sort of reflections uh, on war uh the uh, song that first struck me fade to black on uh, suicide potential uh there although that was not really written from a point of uh existential despair itself but actually the story behind that song is just a, a moment of real down when some equipment was stolen uh, but so, to taking it further, uh, it, it's really when the, the, then we get uh, injustice for all, where some political themes come in, uh, and some people are particularly fond of those. But we get to the black album, which is the album where people started really crying sellout, uh, and I, I think it's there uh, that the lyrics uh, really turn most personal for the first time. Uh, and uh, really have a greater depth in poetry in some ways than, than we've seen before. Uh, and so to answer your, your question, uh, is it, is it, is, are the lyrics mellowing? Is he getting less angry? Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, in, in fact, one of my, my favorite uh, of the more recent albums is, is Death Magnetic. Uh, which not only has some very grim themes in terms of uh, subtle suicide and uh, the attraction uh, of death, but also uh, a sense of grappling, I think uh, with fans rejection uh, and uh, perhaps uh, the sense uh, of being through and it has been, and and can you make the the comeback and can you deliver Mm -hmm. uh, the way that you uh, once did? So uh, I, I think, you know, that, that there's a real emotional range, uh, but there, there's all, all, always a lot of tapping into some of the darker uh, stuff uh, when, uh, when it comes to putting the lyrics together.
1: Yeah. It's funny. We, um, I, you mentioning about death magnetic. I remember, I think, I think one of the kids got me the CD for uh, birthday, Christmas, whatever it was. Anyway. And I, I remember, I remember posting on or tweeting or whatever, and saying nothing says because we were driving from Sudbury over to the Manitoulin, which is across Northern Ontario towards the cottage. And I said nothing says Northern Ontario serenity like listening to Death Magnetic. And my wife and I were just like we just had it going. It was just, uh, yeah, I love that album.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, just you
1: mentioning it it reminded me of that that uh, that that experience of you know just beautiful surroundings. Everything's just Northern Ontario. And there we are, just cranking out.
2: Right. I, I don't you know, think Northern Ontario, but I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out. My my grandfather uh, came from Lindsay, Ontario, Ooh. which from uh, not mistaken, is yeah, yeah. southern Ontario, right? That's the Quarthas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, so I mean, this is going back almost a hundred years uh, at this point when my grandfather uh, came this way, and but I remember the stories about Lindsay, Ontario, back in his day where you could get venison from the butcher and, uh, you know, shoveling the snow off the pond to play uh, yeah. pond hockey and nice all and that kind yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Bill, was there anything, because, you know, you, you talk about as a 14, 15 year old being enthralled with the lyrics right away. So I'm curious, you know, as you took time off to, to write and research this, um, was there anything new that you discovered Uh, about lyrics themselves or about, uh, you know, James or, you know, maybe some of the context around writing a particular song that you found fascinating or did not know before.
2: Well, there there are lots of little things uh, I would say, because what my process for, for writing this book was uh, a little strange in that uh, I would sing the songs to myself and not only can I not play an instrument, but I can't carry a tune. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and with a band like Metallica, when, when you're, you know, a big fan, like I am, I mean, I've listened to, uh, the songs hundreds of times, maybe some of them thousands. I'm not even sure how to get a good estimate on that. Right. Uh, and the last thing that I wanted to do is, is, uh, make this not fun for myself and, sure. and ruin these songs for me such that I could never hear them again. Uh, so what I did was was teach myself uh, the lyrics, you know, sort of memorize them. And I, I would sing them to myself uh, repeatedly, sometimes out loud in the shower, walking the dog, that kind of thing. But sometimes just in my head. So, I, I mean, I discovered lots of just kind of little things uh, by by sort of reverse engineering the lyrics that way and, and uh, hearing them as a singer. Uh, does and as the writer does, I'm sure uh, you know. Greg can attest as a musician that you really learn something about the song uh, by learning to play the song. But what, one of the more interesting uh, examples uh, that I came across in in learning the, the songs inside out that way uh, was the song "Unforgiven." Too, the "Unforgiven" too fans know that there's a there's a trilogy. The first "Unforgiven." Uh, which came on uh, the, uh, the Black album. And then we have Unforgiven 2 is on the uh, Reload album. And then Death Magnetic, which we were just re- referencing as un- the Unforgiven 3. Uh, anyway, uh, so we've got like the Rocky uh, sequence or something going on there. Uh, but I-, I listened to that song hundreds of times, I'm sure, and w- w- you know, was fond of it. Uh, but I had never realized uh, that the uh, the narrator uh, actually kills the girl uh, who is, uh, or the woman, I should probably say, uh, who is referenced uh, in the song. And by the time you get to the end of it, once you realize that, it, it becomes sort of uh, undeniable. Right? Uh, it, he's talking about now, you know, uh, her eyes are closed and dead sure she'll be there. There are all these, uh, you know lines that just make it absolutely clear. Uh, And I had, I had never made sense of that before. Uh, And Uh, It causes some trouble uh, because it's part of a trilogy when you get to the unforgiven three, uh, which and and really all these songs are about uh, the the first two in particular, not being able to forgive other people because what they've done for you. And the third one becomes about the realization of, uh, you know, I need to forgive myself and I can't forgive myself. Uh, but you, you would lose some sympathy for this narrator, for sure, uh, if it's the same narrator uh, who uh, kills the woman in the uh, in the previous uh, song. So as I interpreted anyway, for the sake of being charitable to the narrator, I, th- I think we should uh, imagine uh, in the second song uh, that he entertains the idea uh, of killing her, uh, and then ultimately walks away from it. At least that's what I'd like to hope.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. I, um, hmm. yeah, I think of the the chapter in the book, um, insanity and confusion. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's
1: um, right. Man, that's really interesting. Cause, uh, the one thing that I, I sort of going off Metallica, but like, uh, skimming through that or reading through that. Um, it reminded me of, and I just learned about this again. I'm not a lyrics guy. Um, I learned about the lyrics behind Alice in Chain's "Rooster" and oh, yeah. Jerry Cantrell writing that about his father coming back from I can't remember which war, but I mean, Korea Vietnam. or Vietnam, or uh, yeah, Vietnam or something. But anyway, it was it was it was like as soon as I understood what the lyrics were, and again, yeah, it's me. Um, I was like, just, I had to sit back and go, holy shit. Like this song means something completely different. Cause again, I've loved <laughs> the song. I love the music. I love the musicianship, but then all of a sudden it's like, wow. Anyway, sorry. That's what, so that right, chapter reminded right. me of that, of that. Yeah.
2: No, I mean, that, that's a great example. And that, that's an example where uh, the sort of biography uh, of the songwriter comes into play. I mean, you, you can understand and appreciate uh, the rooster with without necessarily knowing that and you know you, you know it's mm. not necessarily about a farm animal a
1: happy song. Thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right
2: yeah. uh yeah. but but it, it it puts uh it puts another spin on it all together once you have that piece of inside information there so yeah. i mean that kind be. of thing really informs uh a good bit of metallica uh on uh, the issue of religion uh yeah. many fans know but uh uh, casual listeners may not that uh, James Hetfield right the, the lyricist was raised as a Christian scientist i uh, was blown away sort of, when i read
1: that sir yeah yeah, yeah,
2: yeah in I a know. very sort of fundamentalist uh environment uh and you know that was really scarring uh for him and and his his mother uh died uh when he was 16 and and basically didn't have to die uh and uh his father uh who uh was really the uh draconian uh, taskmaster had actually uh, abandoned the family so really he's orphaned at age 16 and has to move in with uh with an older brother and so the, there's real venom towards organized religion and, and this is uh, an illustration of what i was saying before about how it starts off sort of general and topical the lyrics so uh like on uh uh ride the lightning we have uh the song creeping death which is uh about the uh the passover basically uh we're coming up in that time as we record this uh and the flight from egypt and this sort of uh gnarly old testament god uh who's going to kill the egyptians to free the uh, the hebrews and harden pharaoh's heart and all that kind of thing uh so you know this is coming right out of uh his own uh uh, upbringing and, uh, and education, uh, Sunday school wise, but uh, implicit in that song, you, you can't listen to that song and think, hey, God's a good guy. Uh, God comes across uh, as well, frankly, he does in the Old Testament, if you pay attention a lot of times too, is like Tony Soprano, right? you know, really needs a lot of loyalty and is going to, you know, take vengeance if he, if he doesn't get it. But that that's the implicit critique. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it also doesn't go the, uh, the root of, uh, of the heavy metal cliche of just uh, diving into Satanism for the sake of shock and awe and that kind of thing. So then uh, the, the next album, we have Leper Messiah, uh, which is a song really about the 80s uh, excess and all the televangelists and uh, the way in which you know, money and religion mix together. But not until the Black Album, again, which is the album a lot of fans sort of jump ship on if they had been hardcore all along, uh, do we get the, the song The God That Failed, uh, which, uh, you know, if you, if you look at the lyrics to that and listen to the song and pay attention to the lyrics with the idea in mind that this is written by someone who was raised by, as a Christian scientist and uh, was really scarred uh, by that upbringing and, uh, saw his own mother die as a result of it, uh, it really begins to hit home and, uh, really is very personal in its expression.
0: Did you ever feel, cause you talk in the book about, you know, you haven't spoken to James about this. You haven't talked to the band. Um, did you ever feel that you wanted to, or needed to, to, to better understand, uh, context?
2: Oh, I mean, absolutely. I wanted to, and I had the, had the request, uh, out there. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I was dealt with very pol- professionally and politely and, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, Hetfield is, is just really very close to the vest. He doesn't give away a lot, uh, and he doesn't do a lot of interviews period. And when he does, he doesn't give a lot away uh in terms of details about uh you know what's the inspiration for a song or what you think about it uh and i, I certainly uh respect that uh my my uh, hope is that uh maybe he'll read this uh i've uh, i've sent uh, copies to the uh to the management and the, and that sort of thing and uh maybe he'll think uh that uh i i did uh, his lyrics some uh, some justice and uh maybe I'll get a a chance to talk with them in the future, because I'd love to know about process uh, in Mm. in watching some of the behind the scenes. And, you know, Greg mentioned this before, even with, uh, with uh, St. Anger and some kind of monster you see uh, and that was, you know, widely regarded as, as their weakest uh, album. Uh, But even there, you see all all kinds of process uh, in terms of the revision uh of the music and uh this is something that all uh you know really serious uh musicians do but i'd love to know more about the uh the revision process and the process uh that goes on for him in writing the lyrics Uh, Uh i I gather from hearing little bits and pieces that like most musicians he writes the music first uh and the lyrics tend to come Later, but but still, I'm sure there are great stories about this story. This song started out being about this lyrically, and turned into this for that reason. And you know that'd be a great book for him to write himself uh, at some point, or if he's looking for a co-author, he'd uh, certainly count Maybe on me.
0: <laughs> Perfect, for sure. So, speaking about lyrics, Bill, you need to tell us about your Twitter account. It's, 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 it's a poetry book.
2: (laughs) Yeah. uh, So I've I've, uh, published in the past year, this was my pandemic project. uh, I I told you uh, that uh, young guys, uh, at least back in my time tended to shy away from poetry and therapy. Uh, Well, you know, I got to therapy uh, at some point uh, and uh, I, I really did uh, want to become a poet. Uh, in, in fact, uh, I got thrown in the back of a police cruiser, uh, when I was about 17 or 18, uh, and, the uh, cop, uh, wanted to, you know, uh, scare me, uh, which he did. That was enough to scare me. Uh, but he said, he asked me, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, basically like, oh, you got to stay out of trouble. Uh, and I said, well, I'd really like to be a poet. <laughs> and uh so uh you know he didn't know what to say to that and, uh, at the time I was thinking this is probably a good experience uh for uh, for becoming a poet you know uh, and uh yeah so dur- during the pandemic uh you know I'd always written a little bit here or there but uh it, it was something uh, that I had put aside and I've come back to uh and so what you're referencing Kareem is my my, my uh, the poems that I've produced are all quite short yeah, uh, This is my, my sort of uh, aesthetic taste in, uh, in poetry, that it just be almost like a haiku without observing uh, the syllable counts or anything like that. And so all, all of my poems uh, fit in a tweet. And so I, uh, I tweet out a couple of, uh, of the poems every day. No need to buy the book, although it would be great if anybody does. <laughs> uh, you can just follow my Twitter account.
0: Honest mouth, yellow teeth tell truth.
2: <laughs> well, if if anybody's seeing the video, you can see I've got yellowish kind of teeth. Uh, so maybe that's patting myself on, on, on the back. Uh, but uh yeah, so yellow teeth tell truth, right? I mean, uh there there are lots of uh and I'm not pointing the finger at any of the, the nice smiles I see uh on your faces, but there are lots of <laughs> smiles out there these days uh where uh if the pearly whites uh are sort of glossed and uh, you know that's just a stand in right for uh, all the ways in which we uh, put forward a sort of false appearance too perfect uh, for the sake of impressing others. yeah for sure
1: yeah yeah for sure uh so so uh when we talked earlier mentioned about over time so we're going to expect your poetry to stand the test of time and become something I <laughs> studied and you're also telling me and you're also telling me I think that going back to something, throwing it back to earlier in the conversation, that you know you're saying Morrissey has a chance beyond the you know sort of depressed girls I dated in the '80s. So <laughs> that will that, be interesting to see. Yeah, um, Bill. Before before we wrap it up, really one of the questions we love to ask our guests, and it can be Metallica, and it doesn't have to be Metallica, but yeah. the question that I love to ask is, what's in your earbuds lately? What are you listening to that people should be checking in?
2: Wow, uh, you know, um. um Kind of old, and uh, not anything much that uh, that I'm listening to uh, these days is new. Uh, so. Right. Uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, what I've sort of discovered or, or rediscovered uh, and that, that's the Allman Brothers mm. uh, partly because uh, and I'm, I'm sure as a as a musician Greg in particular you can appreciate the musicianship there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, give him a shout out, uh, Ronnie and my friend Bob play in a, uh, an Allman Brothers tribute band called Soul Shine uh, and I went to check them out and uh, I got the whole family listening to the Allman brothers, uh, for about a week before, uh, going to see them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they, have stayed with me. And, uh, so probably next up is, uh, is government mule, uh, which is, uh, an interesting Metallica tie in, uh, that, uh, you might not know about, uh, James Hetfield is a big fan of, of government mule. And I, th- I think the guy's name is Warren Haynes. The, uh, Singer so guitar player, uh, and uh, actually, Jason Newstead, who had been the bass player, uh, actually played a little bit uh, with Government Mule for uh, for a short time, so there, there's some crossover there. And uh, uh, people who know uh, the Allman Brothers, uh, and, and Government Mule will know that uh, my friend's uh, band Soulshine is uh, uh, the title of a Warren Haynes song that he did with uh. Uh, Alman Brothers, and then took uh, into his government mule days. Uh, so that, that's up next for me.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Bill, thank you so much for
0: coming on. This has been a really fun yeah. uh, chat with you.
2: Thanks, the book
0: Greg. Thanks, Greg. Is the meaning of Metallica ride the lyrics? We've been speaking with author Bill Irwin. Uh, you can order this book at your local bookstore. Uh, probably by the time this gets out, I think it's okay, this episode will come out the day before your book is released. Uh, go to your local bookstore, pick it up, go online, buy it, uh, especially if you're a fan of Metallica, but even if you're not, yeah. uh, a great book to dive into uh, to read about uh, lyrics. Just think of this as the lighter notes for Metallica.
2: <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Bill. This Perfect. has been fun. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it.